Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you today, and thank you for tuning in. You'll be blessed today to find out from the scripture a bit more about the consequences of fall, of sin. And today we are going to talk about Cain and his legacy. I would like to welcome our panel. Helen, it's good to have you with us. It's wonderful to be here. And it's a great day and a great study. Thank you. And Brenton, it's also good to have you joining us. It's always a privilege to be on, Nick, and uh, this is going to be quite an interesting study for us to present today. Lydia, thank you for joining. I feel very privileged. Thanks, God, for this opportunity. And Len, it's also a privilege to have you with us. Thank you, Nick, and hello, listeners. Will, it's good to have you with us because uh, you are facilitating today, and thank you for preparing this Bible study. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. And Nick, welcome on behalf of the panel, too. (laughs) All good. Um, Thank you all uh, for um, putting some time aside and uh, make yourself available for uh, this time of of Bible study. Will, over to you. Please take us through. Thank you, Nick. The study of Genesis so far, the book of beginnings, has taught us, well, it's been an eye-opening experience to learn of the early beginnings of, uh, of things. And so far we've been studying of the perfect plan of God for the happiness of the human race. But unfortunately, there was a defection from God's purpose when Adam and Eve submitted to the tempter's deceit. Man's sin, we all know, brought terrible results. And the question has often been asked, if later generations of our race after Adam had ceased to sin, when Adam was driven from Eden, we should now be in a far more elevated condition, physically, mentally, and morally. Of course, that's taking into account the the nature of sin which we inherited from Adam. But if everybody had just followed God after that, in other words, if only man had stopped falling after Adam. But we know that instead there has been a succession of falls Clearly, mankind has not taken warning from Adam's experience. And the general trend has been to live in violation of the laws of heaven. Thankfully, God would not abandon man to follow things to an end and a miserable mess. Uh, Scripture promises us that a merciful God will ultimately defeat the plans of the evil one and establish righteousness once again. So I think today... It's going to be an interesting study, an interesting journey. And uh, I think we should pray before we begin our study. Lydia, would you pray for us, please? Sure. Glorious Father in heaven, we're coming here before you to thank you so much for this honor and privilege that we have today to sit down and learn from you. Father, today... We're going to study about Cain and Abel, the first children that were born after the sin, about the first punishment and the first crime that took place. Father, please bless us with your Holy Spirit and teach us from the richness of your word and help us, Father, to take to our heart the lessons that we're going to learn 
and apply it in our lives from the history of what happened before and help us, Father, that in everything we do, to honor and glorify your holy name. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lydia. That's a meaningful prayer when we approach the word of God indeed. Well, after the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, there was a glimmer of light for these first parents of ours about their rescue from sin and death. Fortunately, all was not lost after all. Lydia, let's review the promise that was given to them. The promise we can find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The Savior's coming was foretold in Eden. When Adam and Eve first heard the promise, they looked for its speedy fulfillment. They joyfully welcomed their firstborn son, hoping that he might be the deliverer. But the fulfillment of the promise tarried. Those who first received it died without the sight. Brenton? Can I make a quick comment on that one, Will? Um, what Lydia has just read. Even though they were looking for their firstborn son to be the deliverer, and that's natural, here's, here's the thing I think that's important in this discussion. That is that if their firstborn son had been the deliverer, there would have been no real understanding of what sin actually does. In other words, it would have been, oh, our firstborn son, he's the deliverer, he's going to crush the serpent's head, away we go. It was necessary. God in his wisdom saw that it was necessary for sin to work itself out, unfortunately, so that not only the inhabitants of the earth could see it, but also the unfallen worlds who hadn't fallen with Satan and his angels could see what sin actually does. In other words, the consequences of sin would never have been realised had Cain been the deliverer. There wouldn't have been time for this to work itself out and show the real malignancy of sin. Good point, Brenton. Yes, you know, even the most casual observer, a person looking in on political affairs and the condition of man today, will, uh, will ask the question, what's going wrong? And uh, they can see that there is a trend that they're not really liking. I I was thinking, why wasn't the death penalty enforced at once after the transgression in Eden? Because I believe a ransom was found. Only God's only begotten son volunteered to take the sin of man upon himself and to make an atonement for the fallen race. And there could have been no pardon for sin had this atonement not been made. If God had pardoned Adam's sin without an atonement, sin would have been immortalized, I believe, and would have been perpetuated with a boldness that would have have, uh, been without restraint. Exactly what you're saying. Sin has to sort of play out before we can appreciate how terrible it is. Well, the first event recorded by the biblical author in Genesis immediately after uh, Adam's expulsion from the Garden of Eden, is a birth. Then can you read us the text about the first children to be born on earth? Okay, well, 
I've done quite a little bit of research on this and it's most obvious that the first children ever born to Adam and Eve were not born in Eden. They were born outside of Eden after they, their parents had been uh, evicted. And the Bible says, and I'm reading from the New International Version, Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Well, it's interesting how the translators have translated this. And I've looked up a number of different versions of the Bible and it says, with the help of the Lord, I've acquired a man. But apparently, in the Hebrew language, it meant, I've acquired a man, the Lord. Yeah. In other mm-hmm. words, in she probably thought that here was the promised one who would, uh, as Lydia referred to or read from Genesis 3.15, uh, that this would be the saviour. Well, it wasn't, and it turned out just the opposite. But I need to tell you something else. You know, there's a lot of people who say the Bible is not credible because it can't answer the question, who did Cain later marry? And I want to share some very interesting information. Generally, in the Bible, the births of girls are not recorded. Mm -hmm. And so there may have been girls before Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. But um, geneticists going back through the genes reckon they've traced down to that there were at least 10 sons and 18 daughters. Tradition goes further. They say that Adam and Eve had 56 children because people might say, well, how can that be? Uh, The fertility period of a woman is from about 13, 14, up to around 50. But, of course, they lived a lot longer and they didn't have all the genetic mistakes that we have today. And so there may have been even more than that. But I also found something else, which I'm sure even the panel will find interesting. The Muslim tradition claims that when Cain was born, he was a twin. He had a twin sister whose name was Aklima. And she also has three other names, Kalmana, or Canaan, or Lelua. And when Abel was born, he also had a twin sister whose name was Jumela. So the thing is, the female names, the names of the female children are not recorded. So the answer, which we're not really dealing with so much in this um, program, but I think is important, that there were girls born within the same family. Sure. Back in those times, there were not so many genetic mistakes, and so brothers and sisters marrying each other wasn't a problem then. All right, well, Cain was born. They probably thought this is going to be the one who defeats Satan, which he wasn't. However, the Saviour's coming was foretold, as we had before, When Adam and Eve first heard the promise, they looked for its speedy fulfillment and they joyfully welcomed their firstborn son, hoping 
that he might be, be the deliverer. Sadly, it didn't work out that way. As Brendan said before, other things had yet to happen. So here we have a record of the first birth, and the first recorded name was Cain. Yeah, as, as Len was, uh, you know, bringing all that information, uh, I'd like to just simply say this. The Bible says that Adam and Eve had sons and daughters. And, you know, all that information, which is not recorded in the Bible, it can be helpful for us to understand. But we take the word of God that uh, it says clearly, we don't need to know every little thing because uh, that's where people are so picky and say, oh, but the Bible doesn't say this or doesn't say that or means this or that. Now, the Bible doesn't need to give all the information. It gives what we need and what we will be able to uh, to use for our understanding of the story. And yeah, I think that's that's very important uh, uh, for those people who may say, but the Bible doesn't say that. Yeah, but the Bible says that Adam and Eve had daughters and sons. Ledger? I would like to talk a little bit about the names. So in olden times, mothers or parents choose the names for their children with a meaning. So the name Cain itself is derived from the Hebrew verb kanach, which means to acquire and uh, denotes the acquisition, the possession of something precious and powerful. On the other hand, when Abel, which is in English Abel, but in the Hebrew name is Hebel, uh, was born, the name that they chose uh, means vapor or breath, uh, which it says in Psalm 144 verse 4, and denotes elusiveness, emptiness, lack of sub- substance. The same word hebel is used repeatedly in Ecclesiastes for vanity. Though we don't want to read more info, uh, this short text that is there, perhaps the idea is that Adam and Eve's hope rested, they believed only in Cain because they believed he, not his brother, was the promised Messiah. But <laughs> finally, he, instead of a savior, he became the first criminal committing the first crime. Yes. Len, did you have a comment? Just a very short one in relation to what Nick said. Anybody who's actually written a lengthy essay or a book, you will follow the theme. You won't go into all the sidetracks. And that's probably why we don't read about Adam and Eve's other children, except in a general sense. Hmm. I've done a family history, and there's a whole lot of people in my family history who I've left out because it doesn't relate to the line that I was following. And so I think although we have evidence of Adam and Eve having other children, to follow the line which we're following here of God's dealing with mankind and with sin, how sin was dealt with, it was unimportant. Leave that out. Uh, well, it has been um, beneficial, I believe. And thank you, Lydia, for sharing the, the differences in those two names with us. What does it um, mean in summary? 
I think it means that the two boys, the names they were given, Cain and Abel, and we weren't there, remember, when they were born, (laughs) indicate very clearly that they were very, very different people, very different personalities, very different characters. You know, Brenton, it's just occurred to me that uh, perhaps in the names themselves, that that difference might have uh, sparked some sort of... uh, relationship difficulty and jealousy between... Yeah, possibly rivalry or something like that. Yes. Well, as is in the case of many families, two siblings can differ very widely from each other in nature and character. Remember, of course, that Joseph's brothers were jealous of him and sought to kill him. Esau hated uh, and was jealous of his brother Jacob and had uh, plans to kill him too. But what do we know about these two sons of Adam and Eve? What does the Bible tell us? In doing a little bit of study, man, we actually learn a lot, especially about Cain. And if we look at the text that covers this, it's Genesis 4, 3 to 7. And I'd like to read from the New Living Translation, if I may. It says here, Genesis 4, 3 to 7, it says, When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Um, I think that counsel is also for us today in subduing it. But let's, let's get on to these, these two men. For a start, um, Cain. Cain, uh, as has already been said, he was the firstborn, um, after Adam and Eve had sinned. And it would appear that they actually, um, did look on him as a Messiah. And from that, I gather he was probably a little bit spoiled compared to his brother. The interesting thing is, when Cain was working, to, he was acquiring the fruit he would produce while Abel was careful to keep the sheep that he had received. So here Cain, he was the first human child. He was the first to follow his father's um, profession, which was farming. He was the first murderer, and I believe it was premeditated murder. He was the first, he committed the first religious crime. He was a tiller of the ground, a profession requiring physical hard work. And we've also talked about the name and what have you. It can mean acquire, possess. Cain is the only one that speaks in this record of him speaking in the Bible, which I found quite interesting. Um, but when you look through Cain's life, he is, he certainly had taken on the mask of evilness. He was violent. And we are told by the author of these lessons that he was worshipped by his parents and he was spoiled. Now, contrast that with Abel. Abel was the first one to obey God, the first member in the hall of faith in Hebrews. He was the first shepherd. He was the first martyr for the truth. Um, a keeper of sheep was his profession, implying sensitivity and compassion. And, and in contrast, his name is more like um, a nothing, a vapor. Um, it's like he was just, he was always called his brother and he was pushed in the background. But 1 John 3.12 says he wasn't evil, he was righteous. He wasn't violent, he was a victim. But he was definitely, I believe, ignored by his parents. Now, there's a, a very good statement that I'd like to just share with, with everybody. 
And, and that is found in a little book called Patriots and Prophets, if I may just read it. So I think it summed it up very well. Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam, differed widely in character. Abel had a spirit of loyalty to God. He saw justice and mercy in the creator's dealings with the fallen race and gratefully accepted the hope of redemption. But Cain cherished feelings of rebellion and murmured against God. Can you see this progression of the evilness in Cain? He he cherished these feelings. He should have got rid of them straight away. He murmured against God, um, the great creator, and that I found was interesting. And he murmured against him because of the curse that was pronounced upon the earth and upon the human race for Adam's sin. And then he permitted his mind to run in the same channel that led to Satan's fall. He indulged the desire for self-exaltation and questioning the divine justice and authority. And I think that sums up very well what we're talking about. There is such a contrast between these two brothers, um, and they stand out very, very much. I had somebody ask me yesterday in a study, why did the fire come down on Abel's offering and not on Cain's? And I, I went through explaining that the offering that was given by um, Abel was one of out of obedience because it had to be with the shedding of blood, and it was a type of Jesus. So he was Abel literally prophesying through his his offering and showing his loyalty to God, which God requires from us, and that's obedience and, and love. And it's interesting that when I found that Abel was the first in the um, Hall of Faith, I thought he deserved to be there. He was nothing on this earth, according to his brother Cain and his parents, and yet God held him up high. If I could just add, uh, Helen, to what you just said, which is, yeah, you explained so well uh, about the differences in between uh, these two brothers. But just myself coming from a farming background, but uh, at the same time we look after sheep from generations. And I understand one thing. Generally, people, when they work the land, they want to get as much profit, you know, to, to get rich as quick, quick as possible. Now, to be a shepherd, to be, and I can testify that, it's, it's not a, a very good way to be rich. Maybe here in Australia, I don't know, but back home, it was a hard work. But it was the love, as you just pointed out, Helen, the love for the uh, your, your uh, flock, for animals. And another thing, People who are shepherds, they unite together, few people, you know, in partnership to look after the sheep, to protect them from the, from all the wild wildlife. And again, that develops relationships. Uh, when you are a farmer, you know, you just go on the land, work the land, and sometimes you subdue some of the people who work on your land for your profit. There are lots of object lessons which we can take yes. from these uh, two occupations, you know, of Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would like to just say that, that even today, people are so much oriented how to get, get, get things rather than to offer. I know my brother, he's looking after the farm right now, and he doesn't have education, but he performed surgery on his ship. On the brain to remove a certain thing because the the sheep can get, um, you know, they lose their uh, thought and they just spin around like that. He will perform open surgery, remove the thing there 
and uh, put it, uh, you know, the sheep, it's, it's healthy again. You see, yeah. love, Interesting. love for the animals. Oh, that's amazing. Lecha? Okay, here in this scenario, we observe that Cain and Abel, they had to conduct a ritual. A ritual in a sense to bring honor and glory to God. But because their profession was different, so Cain was farmer and Abel was shepherd. They thought, I mean, Cain, actually both of them, they were instructed from God what type of offering they should bring. But Cain was had hatred in his heart towards his brother. He could go to his brother and say, May I please have a lamb, the best lamb, the fattened lamb, the firstborn to bring sacrifice to the Lord. But in his heart, he had hatred towards his brother. And I think this tension and the, and the, the conflict was before, right before that. And uh, he could not go um, towards his pride to go to his brother to ask for this offering. And he did this uh, on his own merits. He didn't want to accept somebody else's merits, like the Jesus bloodshed, uh, which they were instructed to be included in the, in the offering. And uh, this was an act of uh, disobedience because this spiritual, um, these offerings had a spiritual significance. True. So let me just summarize and ask after Helen has read that text that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. What are your views on this? Why did God accept Abel's and not uh, Cain's offering? Well, I believe that it was a reasonably clear-cut situation. We can make this um, rather uh, complicated, but it's not. Um, both Cain and Abel knew what God's requirements were. They knew that they were to offer a sacrifice. The sacrifice to be offered involved the shedding of blood. Now, we find this in the Old Testament system, uh, which was produced, and um, we go on from there. Now, what's interesting, Will, about this is verse 5 of chapter 4, where it says, and I'll read it for you just briefly. It says, um, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. It was actually verse 3, not verse 5. Then it says, and Abel also brought an offering. There are two words there, or three words there, that are very, very significant. What Cain brought was not even the best of his fruit. Um, it's rather interesting. He didn't even bring the best of his crops, but he brought it to the Lord. Abel's just says he brought an offering. Abel's suggests to me that he complied with what God's requirements were. Cain's, the way it's described by Moses in writing this, it signifies to me that he was saying, I'm bringing to you what I believe is necessary. In other words, he partly complied with what God said. God said to bring an offering, but he specified what that offering was to be. It was to be a lamb. There was to be shedding of blood. Cain said, I will bring my fruit, and that is sufficient. 
when it says to the Lord, it's almost as though he's saying, here you are, accept what I've brought. Whereas Abel is saying, Lord, I understand that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Cain would have also understood this. They would have both, both boys would have been instructed in the fact that a Messiah was to come and redeem them. And it was necessary for that Messiah to die in order for him to be able to forgive their sins and restore that broken relationship. So why did God accept Abel's and not Cain's? It's quite clear why, because he hadn't complied with what it was. And we find a little bit further on that an angel was actually sent by God to remonstrate with Cain and say to him, look, if you do the right thing, won't you be accepted? Now, here is God still communicating. He no longer walks and talks with them as he did in the Garden of Eden, but he now sends a messenger to communicate with Cain. In other words, he's saying, I'm giving you a second chance. If you comply with the re, uh, what I've set down for your offerings, won't you be accepted? But if you don't, sin lies at the door. So I think that's very important because that carries over, as I say, into the sanctuary service, and it ends up ultimately with Christ dying on the cross because Christ himself said, take this and drink this. This is a symbol of my blood, which is shed for you. Yes. Then. Cain's offering was rejected because it wasn't what God asked for. Obviously, there's some background information that we don't have, but uh, we can realise that God did say that the sacrifice must include blood. So it wasn't what God asked for. There was no blood involved. Abel's offering was actually a sacrifice, a a lamb from the flock. The choice lamb from the flock is worth a lot more than a big piece of beetroot. Yeah. Secondly, and most importantly, the two Fs are involved. We have two brothers and two Fs. F number one is faith. It says in Hebrews 11.4, Abel offered, uh, made his offering in faith. Now what about the other F? Cain brought his gift as a formality, a big difference. So there's faith and formality. You know, that same thing, the same issues have been part of Christianity ever since. Some people go through the formalities. Other people have faith. And there's a big difference between the two. So two brothers, two offerings, faith and formality. So true, Brandon. Just quickly, I believe that um, what was happening here was this. Abel recognised that they could do nothing. His father and mother, his brother and himself could do nothing. They were totally dependent upon the provision that God had put in place. The provision being the shedding of blood signified that someone was going to come and have to shed his blood in order to draw them back to God and restore that broken relationship that they'd had in Eden. Cain did not recognise that. In bringing his fruit, I believe he was saying, this is what I'm giving to you. You need to accept it. Uh, But his heart was not right and he was certainly not in the right frame of mind of recognising that their total dependence, both for now and the future, was upon God. He refused to recognise that, and that's why what we will study a bit further on ultimately happened. Also, what I believe is that um, 
you know how the Bible says, do these things and don't let undone the others. Because what uh, Cain did actually was not wrong necessarily as we probably tend to, to say um, that much in, in different contexts. Because if that was to be a tank offering, that was okay. He could have bring his produce as a tank offering. But you pointed out, and a few of us here, we pointed out that it was about a sacrifice here. Yes. And that's the difference. That's the difference when, and Ligia pointed out, and all of you, that it was required um, a sacrifice, an animal, a lamb, whatever was there. Now, even though we pointed out that some of more expensive, some more uh, cheaper, I don't think so that matters because God uh, knows that some people can bring only this much, you know. And unfortunately today, again, people think that we are more faithful because we bring so much. No, actually, it's about the 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 heart, you know, to do what God asks you to do and to do it with all your heart and, and in faith, as we pointed out. And I think that's the difference in all this aspect. We can go around and say who was wrong, who was right. The only one thing was wrong and right. God asked one thing yes. and Cain did another one. It's true, Nick. Uh, God did ask. He spe- specified exactly what he wanted, and uh, we we need to obey. It it occurs to me that the first family, Adam and Eve, would have told their children that um, there was a possibility that God could have clothed them after they felt naked with uh, a soft garment made from the wool, the shorn wool of the animal. But the horror is, is that the animal had to die so that they would be covered. And I think this object lesson must have burned something into their consciousness, making them realize that blood was necessary and death was necessary. Mm, I uh, think so. Yes. Of sin. Um, yeah. So let me ask, let me ask, where did this all lead to? Is, uh, is the rejection of his offering? Of course, dramatic circumstances follow. Um, just let's quickly share what happened after this event. Well, I'll read from Genesis um, chapter 4, verses 8 to 12. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. Now why did he say that? Well, he was stewing about this rejection of this gift that he gave and he was uh, looking for revenge. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. So here, as Ledger pointed out earlier, was the first murder, the first crime ever committed. It's very interesting to read how God cursed the ground. He says in verse 12, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for me. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, what was Cain? He was a gardener. 
And he relied on the ground. And here's God saying, what you were depending on is not going to be sufficient. So why was Cain angry? He was angry with God because he thought God wasn't being fair and in rejecting his offering and accepting Abel's. And he was angry with Abel, well, who's probably more jealous than anything. So he tried to get even with, um, even the situation up. You know what he did? He just made it worse. We observe here a few questions from the part of God. God asked him, beforehand uh, it says here why are you angry why is your face downcast and now the question another question is where is Abel your brother so God knew it beforehand of course but these are investigative questions just on the fact to wake him up to realize that what he done and also to repent, but he didn't. He was too uh, too arrogant, too stubborn to do that. So true. Now, there, there are some striking questions. You know, Helen hinted on this when she read the text. But uh, when God questions Cain, there are some striking phrases that he uses, which are vital for us to consider in our uh, struggle with sin. Uh, Len, would you like to highlight what uh, he actually said. All right, in verse 7, the Lord said, If you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, that you should rule over it. You know, this is rather important. Mm. When somebody is drifting into doing bad things, um, there's a suggestion here in this phrase where God spoke to Cain, he said, you need to control this. You need to control your urges. So Cain had this urge for revenge and he killed his brother. And so there's a lesson in this for anybody. If you're drifting into that particular mindset, there's a sin that's about to happen. Uh, Jesus said to Simon, in, uh, it's recorded in Luke twenty-two thirty-one. He says, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. And then Jesus said, that I've prayed for you, that your faith fails not. And when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Now there was an injunction given there too. I'll read one more. It's from James chapter 1, verse 14. It says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. I'd like to give a little personal testimony. When I was a teenager, I had a friend called Brian. Brian got involved with a girl. She was not a Christian at all. Brian did not have a happy life. I uh, thought to myself, this is not the way to go. And so I made a, uh, a commitment within my own mind that when I meet a girl and I go out with her, 
I want her to be a good Christian girl. And I think that was very good for me. Mm. I have a good Christian girl as my wife. She's been a good Christian girl and a good wife for many years, and that's the way it's got to be. So Cain had this desire for revenge. We may have desires for something, but we need to control ourselves, just as Cain didn't. Yes, Lydia. God had a little conversation with Cain, and um, he actually counseled him, advised him, as Len was reading, and it, it was saying, if you do what is right, you will not be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is scratching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must master it. So this is a lesson for me, a life application. If sin is scratching to my my door's heart and mind, I have to master it. Yes. In fact, I know you've got, us, you've got, you've got something good to share for us there, Lydia, with regard to how to deal with, uh, with uh, temptation. It is not safe for us to linger, to contemplate the advantages to be ripped through yielding to Satan's suggestions. Sin means dishonor and disaster to every soul that indulges in it. But it is blinding and deceiving in its nature, and it will entice us with flattering presentations. But if we venture on Satan's ground, we have no assurance of protection from his power. So far as in us lies, we should close every avenue by which the tempter may find access to us. The only safeguard against evil is the indwelling of Christ in the heart through faith in his righteousness. It is because selfishness exists in our hearts that temptation has power over us. But when we behold the great love of God, selfishness appears to us in its hideous and repulsive character, and we desire to have it expelled from the soul. As the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ, our hearts are softened and subdued the temptation loses its power, and the grace of Christ transforms the character. Very, very good advice that indeed. Yes. What now follows an account, a sad account of the results of deliberate transgression. Uh, Helen, you want to read the texts for us in Genesis 4 verses 9 to 16 or summarize that for us? I would like to. It's a fairly long text, and I know that we're uh, we're probably running short of time, but it basically is that the Lord showed that he saw everything that Cain did. And when he asked him the questions, it was to get Cain. He asked the question, where is Abel, your brother? He, he wanted to, and, and Cain's reply, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper, showed that he wasn't repentant of what he did. I believe God was asking these questions to sort of prompt him for that. And and he said, what have you done? You know, and he made it very clear that he knew what had happened when he said the voice of your brother's blood cries out for me from the ground. It was interesting that it was mentioned before, um, God cursed the earth. And it's interesting that that was his, his livelihood. And um, 
he said it, you know, he'd, have, he'd be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. You know, Cain suddenly thought, oh, his punishment is greater than he can bear. I don't think he even thought to think of what he, he had done to Abel. No. It was far no. worse than what God was going to do to him. And, and he was concerned because God was driving him out and he felt he would be separated from God. And all of a sudden he didn't like that idea. And, and, um, he played with God. And he said, anybody that finds me will kill me. Now, that strikes me as rather odd because he had just killed his brother and here he was still more concerned, not even about his brother's death, he was more concerned about his own life. And um, I, I, I thought to myself, he didn't, he didn't show any sign of repentance or sorrow at all at what he did to his own brother. And I see that in the world today. I see that in the world today, even within churches where someone um, doesn't get on with his brother and, and it just develops into a, a vengeful situation. It's, it's shocking. Anyway, um, I thought it was interesting that God put a mark on him and we, we're not told what this mark is, by the way. No, we're not. And no. I found that extremely interesting because you might remember the issue was over the offering. Abel's offering was a demonstration of faith. Cain's offering, in contrast, was an attempt to earn salvation by works. What is it going to be like at the end of time when there is going to be a mark on the people who do not obey God? Yes. Wow, that brings it right into our day, doesn't it? It does very, indeed, Helen. Yep. Very okay. much so. But I, I would like to just read a quote in our study this week. It said, it is because Abel's blood was poured on the ground and the ground is now cursed again. As a result, Cain is then condemned to become a refugee far from God. Only when Cain hears God's sentence does he acknowledge the significance of God's presence, but without it he fears for his own life. Even after Cain's cold-blooded murder of his brother and his defiance in the face of it, the Lord still shows mercy to him, and even though Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, the Lord still provided him with some kind of protection. And, you know, that struck me, really struck me this week, that God's mark on Cain is more than just a sign of a curse. It is also, and more importantly, an indication that God continues to protect him from any harm. Amazing. So true. Well, the question now is, what does happen to the descendants of Cain and Adam and Adam and Eve? Let's take a quick look at that. What was Cain's legacy and how did Cain's crime open the way for increased wickedness of humankind? Do you want to answer that for us, Len? When the Lord was talking to Cain, he asked questions. He said, where's your brother Abel? Cain replied, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Then the Lord says, what have you done? Now, why did he ask those questions? I think he was giving Cain an opportunity to come clean. Yes. And hopefully repent, but Cain didn't come clean. He stuck to his guns and he just wouldn't change. God is always gracious. He was probably gracious in... Um, exiling Cain out of this area. Remember, Adam and Eve had been exiled from the Garden of Eden. Now Cain was being exiled from the area where they lived, and he became a, a wanderer, a vagabond. I think he had his wife with him. It was probably his sister. Mm. 
Now, uh, where did he go? The Bible says to the land of Nod. So what is the land of Nod? If you look for it on an atlas, even a Bible atlas, you won't find the land of Nod. It's an indefinite area. Physically, it's an indefinite area east of Eden. Now, I can't tell you if it's Iran or if it's even Afghanistan these days. It was an indefinite area, and it's also a metaphorical area. Let me give some examples. If somebody says they have been sent to Coventry, do you know what that means? It's prison. We say in our modern vernacular, to the hinterland. I asked my wife, do you know what the hinterland is? Yeah, she said it's the area away from everywhere else. And I mean, we think, also say we've been banished to Siberia. Same thing. That's it. <laughs> and, and also we say we're going bush. Yes. So the land of Nod is basically an indefined area somewhere east of uh, what we would now call Iraq. Did Cain change his ways after that? No. No way. Not at all. He remained a rebel until the very end. And if you read the genealogy of Cain, his children and grandchildren were very much the same. That'll do because I know we've got more to cover and time is just about up. Yes. Well, let me ask the last question. Uh, uh, Brendan, apart from the descendants of Cain, Adam and Eve had a hopeful and righteous descent after the death of their son Abel. Yes. And it's, a, it's, of course, a large chunk of history, but could you briefly share with us what sure. with the um, results of um, the, the descendants of Seth? Yeah. Thank you. Genesis 4.25 says this, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. We believe that Seth was more like, in fact, we are told, that Seth was more like his father, both in stature and character, than obviously either Cain or Abel, which is rather interesting. The line of Seth will became the people that we know today as the sons of God. Mm. It goes down to the time of Methuselah, who died the year of the flood, and we'll look at that in our next study. And his son was a guy called Noah, who we'll be looking at as well. We have two branches, as Len has very eruditely stated earlier on. There are two branches that are now becoming very, very obvious. Um, I know we're nearly out of time, but it's interesting to note that the first of Cain's descendants, do you know what he called him? Enoch. Yes. Now, you have an Enoch in the line of uh, Seth as well. Enoch means dedicated or dedication. But there was another guy in uh, Cain's descendants called Mahujael, and it means smitten of God or destroyed by God. Uh, in the line of Seth, I believe we have the uh, the line of Christ ultimately came through that. But what was interesting about all of this was that here we find that the sons of God, the descendants of Seth, ultimately married the daughters of men. And we have two clear distinctions. The daughters of men are described as the descendants of Cain. The sons of God are described as the descendants of Seth. And through the line of Seth, we had a guy called Enoch. And Enoch was the very first person 
that we know of to be taken to heaven without seeing death. So what can we learn from this? We can learn that it is possible to walk with God like Enoch did. Enoch walked with God to such an extent that God said, I'm not going to leave you down here. I'm going to take you to heaven with me. And you know what? Uh, For ourselves as a panel and for our listeners, God says, walk with me, and one day we will walk into heaven together. I think that's a wonderful promise for us to uh, finish our study on today. Yes, yes, of course. So perhaps I could ask a last question. I'd like to ask um, you to share a, a personal reaction to the biblical narrative of the general drift that's adopted by the descendants of Adam. And um, Glenn, would you then uh, just close with prayer for us after the comments? Yes, all right. Well, this is a really sad story, mm. really sad. On the other hand, it shows how God is gracious He tried to rescue Cain from his own evil desires, but Cain would not. Really, this describes, following on from what Brenton has said, the two classes of people in our days. Mm -hmm. There are those like Seth who really belong to the Lord and others who don't wish to, who want to remain in their own rebellious, selfish ways. I think for you listeners, there's only one choice that you should make, and that's the choice to do God's bidding and not to be disobedient. Yes. Uh, I invite you all to uh, bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, through this story, your love has been revealed, how you cared for Cain. You didn't destroy him on the spot. Yes. That's what he deserved. But you showed your grace and mercy, and yet Cain would not. We pray, Lord, that as uh, the Holy Spirit knocks on the doors of our heart and calls us to uh, follow the Lord, that we'll not be stubborn as Cain the pain was, but instead say yes, Lord. So we thank you for this study. We thank you for this story and the implications of it. And we do so in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for uh, your participation to this great um, study today. It's interesting that uh, we look at Cain's legacy. But, my dear friend, uh, we, we encourage you to look in the Bible about God's legacy because uh, that will be the one to follow because Cain's legacy, it may be creeping in our lives today even. We may have our own understanding and we may like to do things in our own way. But it's so much better to rely on God and allow him to take us through on this uh, journey. As we mentioned today, preparing for that time to walk with God together. We are inviting you for next Bible study. To look at the historical and biblical evidence of the flood. Until then, may God richly bless you and continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? 
Sometimes it causes me to tremble Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to a tree? Were you there when they nailed him to a tree? Sometimes I feel like shouting 